Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by the Star Tribune's Ben Gessling via Zoom to discuss Vikings OTAs as they roll along. They were in week two of week three of the OTA period. For those of you who are observing those team activities, uh, we're going to talk about what we saw there uh, on the second open one to media uh, this week and get into some discussion about uh, continued roster flux with Dalvin Cook still on this team uh, right before a date that everybody loves to talk about, Ben, June yeah. 1st. It is now May 31st. Uh, why does that not matter when it comes to Dalvin Cook? Well, uh, because they could have cut Cook with a June 1st designation weeks ago, uh, see Kyle Rudolph in whatever year that was, 2020, 2021, Somewhere in there. Something like that. I can't remember either. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever it was, they cut him. I remember sitting outside on my patio when they did it. Um, that might have been sometime during COVID. I, you know, one of those years. Um, they cut Rudolph in a cap clearing move before free agency, and they designated it a post-June first cut. So what that means is they don't have access to the cap space until June first, but you can do it any time. And say it's June 1st, which means that the reason the June 1st date matters in the NFL, we should probably start there. The reason the June 1st date matters is that if you cut a player after June 1st, you can separate the dead money left on the player's contract over the course of two years. So in the case of Cook, the signing bonus money that's left on his deal could be separated into the 2023 cap and the 2024 cap. So he would have about $8.2 million in dead money left at whatever point the Vikings cut him. So he's got $6.2 million of signing bonus money, and then he's got that $2 million base salary guarantee that he got because he was still on the roster in March. So had they cut him before June 1st and they had designated it a pre-June 1st cut, all $8.2 million of that would have hit this year's cap. If they cut him anytime after tomorrow, or had they designated it a post-June 1st cut, only $5 million, so 3.1 of the bonus and the $2 million of the base salary would hit this year's cap, and then the other 3.1 would hit in 2024. So basically what this allows them to do is push another $3.1 million of salary cap space into or salary dead money charges into 2024 freeing up another 3.1 million dollars of salary cap space in 2023 so it allows them to massage the money a little bit kick the can down the road as they have needed to do at times and it would give them a little more space to play with for this year uh, they could have done this at any time which tells you that the june 1st trigger is not what's holding this up it's can they find a trade or can they find a restructured deal that would bring Cook back here on a lower number? I still believe that it's going to be one of those two things. I don't think there's any chance he's back here at a $14.1 million number. They're not interested in that. They have different plans for the backfield that are going to track with a smaller number for Cook because it will be not quite the same role for him. So we keep talking about it because that date is coming up. Um it doesn't really matter other than they don't have to say after tomorrow that, oh, it's a post-June first cut, because obviously it is. 
Yeah. And the passing of time only matters in that eventually that's a move that's going to have to happen, whether it's cook accepting a probably sizable pay cut to stay yep. in Minnesota and be in a complimentary role, more of a complimentary role, certainly than he's used to, um, or whether or not they're going to trade him or move on. And you say, find a trade certainly, or maybe find a better trade if they've already yeah. got some kind of pick swap on the table, a la Zadarius Smith in, in Cleveland. Um, but with Dalvin cook too, the, you mentioned the post June 1st designation teams do that. Ezekiel Elliott got cut in March with a post June 1st designation. The Cowboys moved on from right away. They won't gain yep. that salary cap space until tomorrow. Uh, teams do this all the time. And so they could have cut him at any point clearly like they did with Zadarius. Quase Adolfo Mensa wants to get something in return for a valuable player. And it's just a contract with Dalvin that he's due 12 million in cash this year, I believe. Yep. Only two running backs are due more this year in this uh, fiscal year for the NFL. And it's Christian McCaffrey and B. John Robinson, who gets the eighth overall signing bonus. So uh, to me that there's just no way. And and I think Kwesi said it out loud uh, back in, was it April when he said, theoretically, Dalvin yes. can exist in this backfield with Alexander Madison. Um, practically, obviously not. That's the, the unsaid part. Um, yeah. In the, terms the theory of theory also involves money. like Dalvin Cook saying, yeah, I'll I'll take a lot less money. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure, that could work. It 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 is possible that a human being in Dalvin Cook's position could say, yeah, I will take a big pay cut. I will take a smaller role and I'll come back. Um, it, theoretically, that's possible. <laughs> theoretically, we could win the lottery. Theoretically, yeah. we could uh, get struck by lightning. Let's hope uh, only one of those things happens. Um, I, I just think Which that this, this, well, this, the, well, some days I want it to be struck by lightning, but yeah. most days I want it to be the lottery. Yeah, I would say that's probably true. <laughs> um, but with this Vikings running back room, Ben, that move eventually is going to happen. Uh, the full team practices we are seeing with these OTAs will eventually become a more complete picture as either Dalvin shows up or doesn't and other players show up or don't because those are missing, but let's stick with the running back discussion here and talk about what could happen if the Vikings eventually move on from Dalvin Cook, as we expect. Alexander Madison obviously steps into that lead role. Uh, what did you hear from Kevin O'Connell yesterday on what could happen behind him? Yeah, I mean, he he had uh, he's continued to have good things to say about Alexander Madison, but he also talked about Kane Wongwu kind of fighting for a little bit bigger role, Ty Chandler, who they like. I mean, both of those guys, I think, are part of the mix. Dwayne McBride continues to rehab and and the injury questions with him, I think, are going to have something to say about how big of a role he has in his first year. But they they like their group, I think, beyond just Madison, certainly beyond Dalvin Cook. So I think you're going to see it look more like what we've seen the Rams do, you know, sort of post Todd Gurley peak where it's let's kind of cobble together a group of players that have different skill sets. And, you know, the thing that I know they appreciate the most about Dalvin cook and the thing that they needed in a lot of spots last year was the home run hitting ability. I mean, you saw it against the dolphins. You saw it against the bills, uh, the screen that ties the game against the Colts. I feel like there's one more that I'm missing. That was kind of a big moment that they had to have. I think he had uh, a big one in Washington, didn't he? Yes, I think that's right. Um, but there's yeah, just so there's, many of those moments. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are enough of those in all those close games that come down to one play that I think that has been a big thing 
And Kenny Wong, who certainly has that ability to be the home run hitter type. And I, I think they believe McBride does too. So you, you want to find that, but Kevin O'Connell, every time he's talked about the running game has talked about efficiency and that is not an accident. They want to be better at not getting stuck in second and nine, second and eight, so that the playbook opens up more so that you don't have a not terribly mobile quarterback on third down having to let things open up for longer plays. I'll pause here so people can make their joke. Um, or you end up having to deal with pressure coming into the backfield. So there's a lot of that that I think they feel like will help Cousins going forward if they are more efficient on first and second down so that they can open up more of the playbook going forward. But, you know, I think you pointed this out. We were talking about it before we started. Alexander Madison has incentives in his contract. I was just looking this up. Uh, if he runs for 750 yards or more, he gets a $250,000 bonus. Uh, if he runs for 1,000 yards or more, he gets a $500,000 bonus, and he can earn those in either this year or next year. Both of those years are effectively guaranteed. So the fact that he has guarantees, the fact that he has incentives like that in his contract, we've said it all along, but he's not signing that deal if he doesn't think there's a chance that he can get those things, and they are not offering him that deal if they don't plan for him to be a bigger part of the mix. So all of this still points to some conclusion or some change in the status quo for Dalvin Cook. And it's just probably a matter of when that happens, whether it's and or what it looks like, whether it's a contract, whether it's a release, whether it's a trade. I, you know, I think the idea that it's going to stick the way it is is just not feasible. And Alexander Madison was asked um, not that long ago during one of these OTAs afterward, um, he was asked about coming back to Minnesota, why he made the decision, and was directly asked about playing time. Obviously, you were looking for playing time around the NFL. Uh, what, you know, was How big of a role was that coming uh, back here? And I'm pulling up the direct quote, um, trying to find it in filibuster here. Um, uh, through the process, talking to my agent, I love it here. So that was part of it. But some other things on the business side and understanding how it's all laid out, how it's all going to work out, this is the best fit. So, yeah, he he knows what's coming. He understands. Him and Dalvin are very close. He knows yep. what's going on with Dalvin's situation. They talk frequently. Uh, they don't have to go through agents or have their agents scout that out for them necessarily. Yep. So. Um, Al or Alexander knows he's going to step into a lead role for an offense that not only wants more efficiency, but maybe might want to commit to a ground game more if it is more efficient. Yeah. To help that open up other parts of the offense or be a curveball when teams try to play back on Justin Jefferson. Um, so moving on to Justin Jefferson, that was an accidental segue. <laughs> um, he was not at OTAs again, still has not reported to the Vikings voluntary portion of this offseason the mandatory practices start uh, there's two of them it's there june 13th and june 14th so those will be the dates to watch in terms of when he actually has to show up but ben we didn't see him we didn't see jordan addison the first round pick who remains out uh we'll get to what kevin o'connell said about that so kirk cousins is throwing to jalen naylor with the first team offense he's throwing to brandon powell with the first team offense and obviously kj osborne um, this offense doesn't look too complete either at this point. Yeah, uh, just very quickly, accidental segue is better than a segue accident. Good to know you did not get hurt <laughs> with a scooter. Um, yeah, the the offense does not look like what it's going to look like. And and 
in some ways, it's not a bad thing at this time of year. It gives Cousins a chance to work with some of these other receivers. And I think they they are hopeful that Jalen Naylor can play a little bit larger role. But, you know, let's not kid ourselves. It's going to be the top three is going to be Jefferson, Addison, Osborne, or Jefferson, Osborne, Addison, depending on, on how you think this goes. But, yeah, it it is not a bad thing to get a little bit more work and, and get some time to to see those guys in the first team offense. But yeah, it, it is a little bit, um, I wouldn't say Addison's a concern at this point. They talked about being overly cautious with him yesterday and, and that has been their, their approach in these types of periods. And, and you're going to see it again in the preseason with the news of the joint practices yesterday with the Titans and the Cardinals. I don't think you're going to see the starters play a single snap in the preseason again. Um, so get used to seeing Jalen Naylor a fair amount in a lot of these preseason games. You'll get a, a pretty good sense of of what he can do because of the way they're going to use the starters. So Addison's not really much of a concern. I don't know that Jefferson, and this is, this is becoming a little bit of a talking point because there were some questions about him yesterday. Um, Judd Zolgat, our, our your friend and mine was uh, was out there yesterday and um, pressed Kevin O'Connell on this quite a bit in terms of why is he not here? It, you know what's going on? And and O'Connell said we've had good dialogue the whole time. He said wherever he is, he's working out. I know he's getting ready for the season. I'd like to see him here as soon as possible. Um, teammates would like to see him, but not terribly worried about it. I mean, you can you can probably figure out what's going on there. It's Jefferson's in line for a contract, and I'm sure there's some of it that whether it's trying, I don't know that it's trying to make a stink about it as much as, Hey, if I don't have a contract, I, and this is an optional portion of the off season. And we should remind people too. He is in a rookie deal that does not have off season bonuses tied to it. So yes, you can be there out of the goodness of your heart, but you don't have to be. And there's no financial incentive for him to be there until he gets a veteran contract. You typically do not see, workout bonuses in rookie deals. So there he's not losing any money by not being there. And I think, you know, I'm sure that his agent is probably saying, Hey, um, it's not a bad thing for them to see what life is like without you just to, you know, kind of have that, uh, that vision of, well, what's, what's the chance of him not being here? <laughs> what do, do we like that? Do we not? I mean, I, I don't think this is going to be a, a concern. It, it'll be a, probably a question of contract structure more than anything else. And how much guaranteed money is there? How much cash does he get up front? All that kind of stuff is, I think, what has to get worked out. But there's there's no doubt they want him. There's no doubt they want to pay him. They, they understand they need to pay him. I, I think it's just a matter of how much of that cash is locked in versus how much can be um, massaged throughout the course of the deal. You and I both know certainly what that contract could look like, but lay it out for listeners in terms of how much money per year. Um, I mean, we're we're talking about probably the biggest contract the Vikings have given out because they didn't give out anything more than a three-year deal to Kirk in part because because of Kirk. Yeah. This could be the biggest single payout they've made to somebody ever, maybe? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Adrian Peterson? Yeah, I mean, that'd be the other one, right? I mean, Peterson, I think, had... a couple that maybe maybe that one in 2011 was like a nine figure and it's always a question of how much people actually earn from these and you know the the sticker price is different than what you actually end up getting paid out cousins 
over the course of five years as a starter has made at you know $150 million or something like that. And but that's been in separate contracts. In terms of like one piece of paper promising a certain amount of money to a certain player, yes. I, I think there's a very good chance this is the biggest deal the Vikings have ever done. Because you're talking about average annual value of 30 million plus, and I, he has no reason not to be asking for that because Tyreek Hill right now leads the wide receiver market and I believe is the only player who is at that $30 million number. He's exactly at 30 million. Justin Jefferson's people can say, look, he's younger. Um, he's, I, I don't know. I don't think you want to throw too much shade at Tyreek Hill, but um, you could make it, I suppose, the case. Oh, that hold on. No, 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 you absolutely can. He, he's younger and also has zero off the field flaws. Justin Jefferson. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You I can mean, absolutely... I was going to say in terms of on field, his game being sure. more yeah. complete. I mean, yeah. it's hard to find a lot of uh, nitpicking kind of things with Tyreek Hill's game on the field. But yes, the off the field stuff, he, I mean, yes, he's been a model citizen. Yep. And we should point out that that is not always, well, Finding wide receivers that have been as uh, overall positive in terms of the way they are in the locker room, the way they are with coaching staffs, uh, that the whole package being as we have no issues with this as it's been with Justin Jefferson is not always the case. It certainly has not always been the case in Vikings history. Um, you know, Percy Harvin was I, my first year on the beat is was Percy Harvin's last year in Minnesota. Obviously, a lot of things. There's a lot to the Percy Harvin story. There, you know, there's a lot of things in his personal life, a lot of things off the field. But um, the end of the Randy Moss era. Yeah, yeah, the end of the Randy Moss era. I mean, you can go back to um, I'm trying. Well, I'm trying to think who else. The well, I mean, Stefan Diggs. Yeah, it didn't end well. I mean, yeah. and some of that was just disagreements with. Uh, the coaching staff in terms of the way they wanted to do things, but that was not pretty. So Jefferson, by all accounts, everything we see, everybody we talk to, it's been good. So I, I think the fact that he's not 24 yet, the fact that they like him, the fact that he's been um, you know, a popular player, both in Minnesota and nationwide plays in his favor. So yeah, you're talking about that number going North of $30 million, making him the highest paid receiver in the league and i would assume that the vikings would have i mean the other interesting thing here will be do the do the vikings say we're going to make this like a six-year deal um because i i think the vikings would have probably more interest in locking that thing up as long as they could whereas jefferson may be saying okay um let's do a four-year deal for $125 million or something like that. So it puts him over Tyreek Hill and then gives him another chance at the market in a few years, which is going to just keep going up. The fact that he's as young as he is and has done what he's done before his 24th birthday plays in his favor. So, you know, that part of things I could see being a question in negotiations too of you know, the Vikings would love to, you know, you throw the big number at him and say, hey, we're going to give you six years um, hundred and ninety million dollars or something like that. Um, it it's really hard to say no to a piece of paper that has that number on it. But there may be a case that Jefferson says, you know what? No, I I don't want to lock myself in for that long 
especially when not that not the whole thing is going to be guaranteed. You know, they, they would have rolling guarantees in the back end of it. He would not have as much leverage as he might if, okay, let me out of this thing at 27, 28 years old so I get another crack at the market. Because that, I mean, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill have gotten paid at that stage of their careers without quite the production that Justin Jefferson's going to have or has put up to this point. So, yeah, an interesting set of negotiations. I, I think it gets done, but it'll be fascinating to see where it goes when it does get done. Yeah, when you were talking about the length of the contract, it made me think of uh, Patrick Mahomes' deal. Um, yeah. Because obviously the Chiefs ended up doing exactly that, where they locked him up for ten years, four hundred and fifty million, but at signing, only sixty three million was fully guaranteed, and up to one hundred and forty million could be guaranteed for injury. And then there were a whole bunch of other guarantee triggers where four hundred million could be guaranteed, but he'd have to be on the roster third day of the league year. Like it's a year to year deal. And the Chiefs agreed to do that. Why would they ever move on from him? But at, at some point, the water level is going to reach Patrick Mahomes where he goes and says, hey, there's actually three or four quarterbacks making north of $50 million a year. Yeah. Uh, when I signed this deal, I was the only one by far. And, Why am and, I making less money than Justin Herbert? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Trevor Lawrence or whomever. Yeah. Um, and so with, with, um, Jefferson, I do wonder if he take a page out of Kirk cousins book a little bit and say, well, I see a guy who's riding the waves of the market. I'm going to be on top of this thing forever. As far as I'm concerned, Yeah. why not go ahead and just keep going back to the table? Um, it, yeah, that's a very interesting, very interesting part of it. Yeah. Cause um, you, you just don't see, I mean, the fact that he was 20 years old when he was drafted, I mean, he was 21. When he first played, he's a I think mid June birthday of '99. So, 21 by the time he played his first game, but you know, still really young in terms of, you know, not a 22, 23 year old player coming in the league. And the fact that he's produced the way he has so early gives him a lot of leverage. And yeah, I I could certainly see him saying it makes sense for me in the long run to not lock myself in because the TV deals are just starting. Um, the the money is going to keep coming into the cap because this, this acceleration of the TV money was a little slower than it otherwise would have been because they had to pay back some of the money they lost during COVID. Basically, the, to remind people how that went, when the stadiums are empty, the cap is set by overall revenue for the league. The, obviously, overall revenue for the league dropped precipitously in 2020 when stadiums were empty. So the league said, we're not going to cut the cap as much as we otherwise would because that would force teams to decimate their rosters to be under the cap. We're going to lower it probably a little bit less than we otherwise would. And the the trade-off to that is going to be the next couple of years, it won't come back quite as fast. And I, I think we've basically kind of paid all that back now. And now I think you're going to see all of this TV money just send the cap flying upward for the next five, six, seven years. So if that's the case, Jefferson, I would think, because he's not signing for his age 30, 31, 32 seasons here. He's signing for the remainder of his prime in the league. And I I would assume he's going to say, well, wait a minute. If I'm doing what I'm doing in this offense, in a league that continues to move more and more toward making it easy for receivers to put up big numbers, why wouldn't I give myself another chance at it? I I I think 
it's going to be really interesting to see how tempting that big number the Vikings put in front of him is and how much he says, you know what? Um, uh, let's do a couple less years so I get another chance at it. Also, I don't know who you guys are picking a quarterback next. Yeah, there's that. Yes, that is that is a big part of this. That's a yeah. great point because they certainly are aware of that issue. Um, you know, they they certainly could have done a four year deal with Kirk Cousins this year. I mean, you know, we both talked about that. That he wanted that. He wanted to be signed for the next few years, and they said, "Okay, we're interested in this to a point, but not." to the degree that we are locking you in for the next, you know, basically three seasons. I think as we both talked about this is that was kind of the trigger. Um, yeah, it was 2025. Those guarantees. Yeah. 2025 was kind of the, the sticking point of the whole thing. Um, yeah. It, that is a great point because you know, we've talked about it too. They looked really hard at those quarterbacks at the top of the draft this year. They liked Bryce young. They liked CJ Stroud. They liked Anthony Richardson. Uh, I, I think they certainly made an effort to move up to get one of those guys. It would have been really, really expensive to do it. But the fact that they have looked at that tells you they still have decisions to make on Cousins. It, it's not impossible that Cousins gets a deal after this year. They'll have some work to do there. But, yes, you don't know who your quarterback's going to be. He's put up great numbers with Cousins. Um, does he want to be with Cousins for the next four or five years? I. I don't I don't know how strong his feelings are on that. I wouldn't be stunned if you know if, if they said, hey, we're gonna have you paired up with a 22, 23 year old that um is dynamic, uh it can move around on the run and some of those things. I, I'm sure he'd say, Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in that. I I think he's enjoyed playing with Kirk as well. And I think they've they've had a productive relationship. But yes, the the fact that there will be a different quarterback throwing to him at some point during the end of his career in Minnesota. Uh, you're absolutely right. That has to be part of the discussion too. Yeah. Yeah. He's not exactly Jamar chase paired with Joe Burrow for the rest no. of time. That, that makes, that's got to make Jamar chase's eventual contract negotiations that much easier for a stingy ownership in yeah. Cincinnati where you'll say, look, okay, we'll give you the market line, but we don't need to talk you into a seven year deal necessarily. Cause you know who it's going to be with. Yeah. Yeah, um, like we've got Joe Burrow, so yeah. <laughs> you you really want to roll the dice and leave that? Yeah, probably not. <clears throat> All right. Um, you mentioned the joint practices. Um, they're going to host uh, the Titans and the Cardinals for joint practices a year after doing so with the Forty ers uh, This is the first time the Vikings are going to do two joint uh, practices with different teams. Yeah, um, that I can so, remember. So yeah, I mean, uh, you probably have to go back to like the old cheese league days. Um, you know, when, when there were like five teams in Wisconsin and the Vikings were, I mean, the chiefs were river falls, so they could do it fairly easily. I think they used to do that. I I don't know. I mean, certainly they didn't get together with the Packers or the bears during those days. I don't know if they did with the saints or the the Jaguars, but those would have been the cheese league teams. But yeah, first time in a long time. Well, and what, what, what did the Vikings get out of it last year? Cause I do remember, um, I do remember them getting a taste of, uh, certainly starter level uh, yeah. football that you don't get in the preseason yeah. and a different style with the 49ers that that certainly Ed Donatel had with the Vikings defense last year. Those um, got kind of, I mean, there were a few touchy moments in those, right? 
Dominican Adam Thielen was like yelling at the refs within minutes of it starting, uh, saying, <laughs> if you have the flag, throw it. What are you doing? Like, I remember standing on the sideline and the receivers for the Vikings, including Jefferson, everybody was so mad at how physical the defensive yeah. backs were being for the 49ers. And the 49ers would go back to the huddle and just taunt them and to their to themselves, you know. Yeah. Um, it just it was a different animal. And D'Amico mm-hmm. Ryan's afterward, now the head coach of the Texans. Um, said, yeah, we just practice different. Like he was asked about how the Vikings reacted, and he's like, yeah, we're just different or something like that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they bring in the Titans and the Cardinals, two teams the Vikings know very well, not only front office connections, but Drew Petzing, Jonathan Gannon over in Arizona, uh, running the defense and offense over there with the Cardinals. Those are two former Vikings assistants from the Mike Zimmer era. Uh, Drew Petzing, the offensive coordinator of the Cardinals, used to be Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs wide receivers coach. And Jonathan Gannon was an assistant DB's coach before going and running Philly's defense all the way to the Super Bowl last year. Um, but with those teams and coming GM in, Monty Austin Ford is one of us. Yeah, Very that's important. right. That's we'll right. We're in Minnesota's own. Um, what are the Vikings going to get out of these, Ben? As you say, that we're probably going to see Jalen Naylor a lot in the preseason. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, last year they talked. I mean, every time they were asked about not playing starters in the preseason. They pointed to those joint practices. And, and O'Connell said it again yesterday. It's like you can get through those days and have players feel like they played a preseason game and then some. So, like, you're not going to see – put it this way. If, if we didn't see their starters play a single snap in the preseason last year with one set of joint practices, I cannot imagine we're going to see them play – a snap when now that they've got two sets of joint practices, they also did kind of a, a scrimmage kind of thing in TCO stadium last year, late in training camp saying, Hey, we're going to run things on the clock. And um, we're, we're not just going to go off of cards. We're going to actually put in a little bit more of a game script. I, I think was some of how that went, if I'm remembering it right. So I think yeah. they feel like we have ways to get the kind of work in that we need to get in without, putting players in live game situations, especially, um, you know, two games at U.S. Bank Stadium on the turf. I mean, that's become a, a thing that players are talking about more is this idea of do we want to be playing as much as we are on turf? I I just don't think they're going to put any of their starters at any risk. And and those connections that they have, I mean, whether it's Rand Carthen and Quincy Adolfo Mensa in Tennessee, uh, whether it's Jonathan Gannon, Drew Petzing, uh, Monty Ossenfort interviewed for the Vikings GM job before they hired Quasi Adolfo Mensa. So um, Kevin O'Connell talked about the relationships he has with Mike Vrabel, with uh, Jonathan Gannon. Those things matter in the sense that you can kind of determine the rules of engagement a little bit. When it gets a little heated, if you have a relationship with a coach where you go over and say, hey, man, we need to cool this off a little bit, it's easier to do that in a practice than it is in a competitive situation in a game. So you just you can't when you're on opposite sidelines. So it becomes a little easier to kind of get the work you want under controlled circumstances more so than a game would allow. And, and just the fact that you're not taking players to the ground is a big part of it, too. So um, I, this is going to continue to be the trend. If you're if you're going to preseason games at this point. You're probably doing so with your eyes open. You should because you're yeah. just not going to see very many starters in these things. And uh, it's kind of be how it going to be how it kind of goes, but you know eventually they'll add an 18th regular season game, and you only have to watch two in the preseason. One of uh, my favorite oddities of Justin Jefferson's career is that he will never play in a preseason game. Yeah, uh, you're right. 
because 2020 was when he got drafted and yep. obviously a rookie would be playing even if you're first round yes. typically. Um, and they, yeah, they canceled him. <laughs> so yeah, uh, v- very interesting, but I, I, I always love that one. I always love that little oddity because he will never ever play in one to yeah. your point. Uh, Kirk won't play now. Some guys that didn't play last year, Eric Hendricks, Adam Thielen, they're gone. So I, the team is younger. They're installing a new yeah. defense. I do think we'll end up seeing a lot of these young defensive backs, for instance, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. Um, Is there anything else, any last impressions or things we should get to before we let uh, people go? Well, I, I just, I think the, you know, the next couple of weeks here, um, you will have access to a practice next week and then a couple of mini camp. It's going to be interesting to see, especially in, in more of these 11, 11, 11 on 11 situations in minicamp, kind of how this defense continues to look because you have Harrison Phillips rehabbing yesterday. You have, you know, I don't think they're going to be aggressive with Harrison Smith, Jordan Hicks. So you're going to have time for some of these younger players to to show what they can do. I, I know they're, they're really excited about Brian Asamoa and kind of the leadership role, the kind of, chess piece he can be in this defense um I, I think that's going to be a big thing for them going forward and it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out but you know the other piece of it is it, it's not just Dalvin Cook contract wise Daniil Hunter is he going to be here for the mandatory minicamp I mean some of these things that still have to get determined mandatory minicamps are a great indicator because you get fined if you don't show up so we'll he be here. Will Justin Jefferson be here? If they're not here, it doesn't mean that we're, they're going nuclear. But it it tells you that, especially I think in Jefferson's case, it tells you okay, this is this is a little bit more of a I, hey, we want to get this done. We're trying to make a point. Then it would seem to be at least at the moment. So that's worth yeah. keeping an eye on. It would uh, yeah, it officially be a holdout at that point. Um, yeah, or or a hold in as we've seen with Dalvin Cook. Uh, during contract negotiations with the Vikings showing up and just not doing a whole lot. Uh, that was training camp 20, yeah, 2020, 2020. Um, right. Yeah. And then the year after that, they had to do the one year resolution with Daniel Hunter, uh, move a bunch of money up. And now he's only due 5 million, which is why he's not here <laughs> mm-hmm. because he made 20 million in cash a year ago. And he's watching guys like Joey Bosa and obviously guys who have been more accomplished in recent years than him due to injury and scheme and whatever. Um, it'll be that th- we could do a whole podcast just on those contract talks too, because yeah. of who he is, what he's meant to this organization before, but what he can really be now, I guess uh, we have to see. So, yeah, that's been an interesting trajectory for sure, because of the the contract stuff where he looked like he was, I and mean, he was the fastest player in the NFL, the 50 career sacks and, Injuries have been part of it. Scheme changes have been a part of it. Relationships with coaching staffs have been a part of it, certainly um, at at the end with Mike Zimmer. And then, you know, you have a transition with a new group and not people you have prior relationships with. So, um, you know, scheme being what it was last year, there is a, yeah, there's a fascinating um, set of things to keep an eye on with Neil Hunter for sure. All right, well, we will end there, and we will talk to you guys next week as the Vikings continue the off-season program as it ramps up. Eventually, training camp's coming, and uh, I saw someone put out there the other day, 100 days until week one of the yeah. NFL season. Yeah, we're, we're counting it down. The uh, industrial complex never stops. Well, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please check out all of our work at startribune.com.